people of God rejoiced and said, Amen. Thank you, Temple Choir, and thank you, Bob, as you accompanied on our piano. Philip, it's wonderful to have you back among us, and I know in the days and weeks to come, we'll hear about your and Brandon's trip of a lifetime to the land down under in New Zealand. Um, is it Monday or Sunday for you? It's Monday for you. Well, glad to be have you on Sunday here. Welcome back, Brother Philip. And as you heard Pastor Aaron mentioned Miss Kiera, uh, she is away from us. She is in New York celebrating a milestone in her mother's life. Her mother, as you know, is a pastor there in New York. And Kiera had the opportunity to preach the 8 o'clock service on this special day at her mother's church. And so we prayed for her as she was preaching in the early, and then we pray for her as she goes about that special day and look forward to her being back with us here soon. Today I'm going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Put a bookmark on it for a few moments, and then I'll prompt you when we will be reading the text. But now let's bow our heads. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What would it have looked like if Jesus had hired a human resources consulting firm to assist him in the calling of his first disciple. Perhaps it might have looked something like this. The memo he would have received. To Jesus, son of Joseph, from the Jordan Management Consulting Firm. Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have taken the battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our systems for all the data, but we've arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and with our vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and we will want you to study them carefully as you make your selections. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor would if giving financial counsel, and we'll make some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fees. It is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational attitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would highly recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, well, they place their personal interest above company loyalties. And Thomas, 
he demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our best duty to tell you that Matthew, well, he had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have some radical leanings, and they both registered high on the score of manic depression. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. Therefore, we recommend, out of all these, Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you success in every of your venture, all of your new ventures. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. What is true success, really? Charisma or character? In today's economy, success is often defined by rapid growth, the number of clicks, likes, and followers, high shareholder returns, esteem in the business community. Often re we reward smooth-talking, winsome, magnetic, charismatic leaders. My preaching professor in seminary, Dr. Chuck Buck, warned us of the kind of preachers that have words that are smooth as ice cream on glass. This way of thinking has seeped into the North American church where charisma is often more valued than character. Personality of the preacher over the equipping and the empowering of the saints. Fundraising over faithful stewardship. Filling seats over making disciples. It is tempting for us to try to imitate the accolades of the personality-driven corporation or church in other parts of the community or country. If we were just like that, then we would be successful, we think. But when we do that, we never measure up. Our collective self-esteem will yield a cycle of fear and apprehension and self-doubt. The Bible says nothing, absolutely nothing, about making charismatic disciples or building charismatic leaders. Jesus did say, go and make disciples. But what God is really looking for in disciples are people of character who are faithful, available, and who are teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. In other words, in disciple-making, forget charisma. Now, charisma can be certainly used in some good ways. Martin Luther King Jr. was a charismatic leader. Dr. Billy Graham was a charismatic preacher. I would argue both were charismatic preachers, Dr. King and Dr. Graham. Charisma is not on the list when we study through the scriptures. 
Peter Scazzaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and also the book The Emotionally Healthy Leader and a pastor, former pastor in New York, addresses this in an interview done by Christianity Today. Listen to a segment of that interview. Scazzaro says, I can tell you story after story of charismatic leaders that did not work out because of so many other things that were missing, like teachability, humility, and openness. But there were many other people I never expected in the church who became significant leaders, yet they did so because of their extraordinary character. Le they led, says Cazero, out of their character more than their gifting. Webster's Dictionary defines charisma as a special charm or allure that inspires allegiance or devotion. The next entry they give defines it as a special magnetic charm or appeal. Character, on the other hand, is defined as moral strength, self-discipline, fortitude, a person's reputation or a person's pattern of behavior. It has been said, character is what you do when no one is watching. The Bible says in the call of David, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. As Christians, let us forget charisma and focus on character. These newly called deacons at Huguenot Road Baptist Church were not called for charisma. They were called because of their character. Jesus chose 12 people from Nowheresville who didn't look like much, but they were willing to do anything and to go anywhere with Jesus. The first disciples were faithful, they were available, and they were teachable. Let's join Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and listen to him call ordinary fishermen into a life of faithful service to the ministry of the gospel. A little background Matthew gives from the prophet and then the call. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, John the Baptist meaning, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The word of the Lord. So Jesus left Nazareth, according to Scripture, as Isaiah prophesied, set his headquarters in Capernaum, uh, an area in the northwest quadrant of the Sea of Galilee, there on the tip, and began to develop relationships and learn the community and get to know people. A study of the Gospels will reveal that Jesus had already met with these guys, developing personal relationships with them. And by the time he said, come follow me, they knew him. They were not following a stranger. You can read more about that in the first chapter of John. Matthew reports that Jesus first called Simon Peter and Andrew, who were brothers. They were casting their nets from the shore using a smaller cast net and then pulling in the fish. And then he went and called the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. They were using a dragnet. Uh, they were mending it and would use it from the back of the boat or between two boats, and they would pull all the fish in and haul the load in and then go to market. Well, Jesus called these four simple fishermen to follow him. They were not of great scholarship or influence or wealth or high social order. Neither were they poor. They were working folk, hard working seamen, fishermen. They knew the water. They knew the, the lay of the land. They didn't have a great background, but they could probably be crude or rude, might curse like sailors, treat others rough from time to time. And it is likely that people who knew them would say that they would probably not aspire to any great future other than just becoming a be remaining fishermen. Well, that's all they'll amount to, people might say. Just the people Jesus was looking for, people who were faithful, available, and teachable. Think about the qualities of a fisherman or a fisherwoman. In his commentary on this passage, William Barclay gives a glimpse of why Jesus called them. Fisher, to fish, you have to be patient. You have to learn to wait. Often when Isabella was little and she and I would be out fishing, after a while of not catching anything, which happened often, she'd say, um, Daddy, I'm ready to go now. Or, can we go to another spot? Can we check to see if my worm's still on the hook? You know, and, oh, just be patient, sweetheart. We'll find, we'll, we'll catch something. My dad would tell me the same thing when I was a little kid. You got to be, you have to have perseverance to fish. To be courageous, often if you're out on the water, a squall might come up, especially on the Sea of Galilee, and you be in the middle of some of what you experienced, Philip, when you were out in the open waters, those big waves that happened often uh, without any notice on the Sea of Galilee. They would also have a, an, an eye for the right moment. They, they just had a sense about them when they were fishing. They also knew how to use the right kind of bait to catch the right kind of fish, whether worms or crickets. 
or minnows or lures. And they, they would also keep themselves out of sight because if they were making too much racket, the fish would see them or their shadows and go away. I think that last attribute's important to think about, that we as disciples, as followers of Jesus, our main goal is to get out of the way so that people don't see us, but that they see Jesus. Wonderful characteristics here. Jesus didn't have to fight the charisma battle with these guys. A little ego issue, sure, would happen. But he could teach these guys. He could teach them character. Jesus would expand this small circle of four to 12. He wasn't concerned with numbers, neither should we be. He started small out of the 12. He had an inner circle of three. And even one of the 12 didn't work out. Training them and developing them as leaders was really hard and it was tedious. But over the long reign, it worked. I believe that's important for us to remember at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. This is not a sprint, y'all. This is a marathon. We must not rush what is supposed to be done over a long period of time. We are not building charisma. We are building character. Although there are some good possibilities that can come when charisma and character are working in tandem, led by the Holy Spirit. Mostly, we don't have a lot of charismatic people. We have a lot of people with character that Jesus is building. We are called to build a church, and we build a church by building disciples of character. If we invest in people and invest well, with all of our resources, the growth will occur. It's like growing seed in fertile soil. We dig, we plant, we water, we tend, but the Bible says God brings the growth. It is our job to be faithful and available and teachable, and we trust God will bring the growth. If we slow down and build people, invest in people, we will discover God is at work. Growth must not be quick like you see in some places. It must be organic, bottom-up, from-the-soil kind of growth. So what is true success in the church? Character. Making disciples whose character is built on the character of Jesus Christ. Disciples who are faithful available and teachable, just like those four fishermen who followed when he said, come follow me. Disciples who are willing to do the slow, steady spade work of the spiritual disciplines that help shape and form us into the people who grow like Jesus. That's what builds a church. Last week, we studied four unique ways Jesus grew recorded by Luke in chapter 2, 52. Jesus grew in wisdom, mentally. Jesus grew in stature, physically. Jesus grew in favor with God, spiritually. Jesus grew in favor with others, socially. All these ways to grow 
In favor with God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in favor with our fellow people, love your neighbor as yourself. To be a successful pacifist, you got to be patient. You've got to wait. You've got to listen and know the water, the wind, and the current. It's kind of like cooking in a slow cooker as opposed to a microwave or a flash cooker. I want us, I believe God wants us to embrace a posture of obedience to the call of Jesus, like did these deacons modeling their example of saying yes to the Lord, to be faithful, available, and teachable. Remember that any good thing takes hard work. It takes time and it takes faithfulness. And it takes our giving collectively to the purposes of God's church. We are building God's church. God will bring the growth if we are faithful, available, teachable, and I would add obedient. And the Lord, will he will bring the harvest in his time. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Luke 16, 10. If we expect God to bring growth and help our church reach our community, we first must be faithful with what he's already given us, with this beautiful campus, with the people who are already here, with our financial resources and other capital resources God has entrusted to us that he will bring the growth, that if you're faithful with little, he will bring much. To our newly called and set-apart deacons, thank you for your willingness to be servant leaders, not self-serving leaders. While you've been set apart, your call is also our call. We have all been called to serve like Jesus, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, to be peacemakers, to be ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation, to be humble, courageous, dependable, selfless, vulnerable, to be honest and truthful, transparent, transformed, passionate and compassionate, to be willing to give the benefit of the doubt before jumping to conclusions, to be a champion for the church, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God to make a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, to build our lives after the Beatitudes, to bear fruit of the Spirit, to be faithful, available, to be teachable, to be like Jesus. Who Isaiah said, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And Isaiah said, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds,